Today, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment you love without the hassle. Direct TV Stream brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, which means you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. And the best part? There's no annual contract. So stop waiting and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. You know I'm right. Nick Durst here with Joe Calabrese. And Joe, our guest today, just like some of our previous guests, can be seen only on S. And why? And we got a great recommendation to have her on today. Uh, so why don't you tell our loyal listeners and viewers who we have with us? Yeah, uh, it was another recommendation. And as you're right, you could see her nightly on SNY. Uh, she's a former sideline reporter. She was at Fox Sports and AT&T uh, Sportsnet in Houston doing sideline reporting for the Rockets before she was uh, But now she can catch her nightly on SNY. Uh, really, really excited to have her on. Uh, Miss Michelle Margot. Michelle, good morning. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm doing well. Other than um, what we discussed previously, I'm having a really bad hair day because I got a really bad haircut. But other than that, I'm good. You know, we could, we could hardly tell here. Hair looks fine. Uh, Wait, that but... looks like that's, that's a bad hair day. <laughs> yes. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me, by the way. So you mentioned hair, and you know, this is something that, you know, we, we never really get to the inside scoop here. When you were showing up to SNY or any TV place, are you coming with like your hair in a bun, no makeup, and then you let them take care of it? Or are you coming in prepped and, you know, getting things looking nice before you're heading into the makeup room? This is a really good question, and it's totally subjective. Um, every station slash network I've been at, um, has been different. The talent does what they want. So for example, Maria Marino at SNY, she'll go in sweats and then she'll do her makeup when she gets there. Um, a lot of people do that a lot, especially in local news. A lot of people do that. I, um, I come ready and I, I freshen up for sure. Um, especially because my commute's like two hours long, but I, I've always, I've always, um, come in my heels and come in my dress or my, my, work pants or whatever it is. I would say the only thing different with this job that um, any other job is I don't come in my heels. I'll bring them because um, I don't want to run through Penn Station late at night in my heels. <laughs> yeah, definitely not, not, not what you want to do. Now, we want to get through your whole career here, but because I mentioned at the top, the first time you worked with Amy McEnany, who was a friend of our show, and he said only on SNY. Were you startled or what were your thoughts on that when he was going to commercial <laughs> break? So, I, I mean, I knew he did it because I watched. Um, it is a little louder than the usual toss to break, but it's Eamon and we love it. And it wouldn't be Eamon without it. So yeah. it, it startled me the first time I heard it as a viewer because I didn't know he was going to do it. But then after that, it was like, oh, that's Eamon's thing. No doubt about it. So it's a staple here with, with New York sports, but you are a, a San Diego girl. You spent some time in Florida and Texas. Have you gotten used to these brutal New York winters yet? <laughs> no. I, if, if anyone's listening to this and not watching this, I'm shaking my head. <laughs> no, um, I have not gotten used to it. I probably will never get used to it. Um, I didn't understand that I had to shovel 
snow off my car the first time. And um, I, I don't know. I, I, when I saw people's windshield wipers sticking straight out, I didn't understand. There's just a lot that, to unpack that people don't understand. It's a whole process. And it takes, the first thing I said to my fiance, who's from New Jersey, um, I said, I don't understand how you guys get anything done in the winter because it takes so much extra time every day. Whereas in San Diego, you hop in your car at any time of day, at any day of the year. And it's just like any, like you just get in, you go. And it doesn't take an extra 45 minutes to shovel your driveway and to shovel the snow off your car and then to drive. Um, With that said, it's not as bad as I imagined it to be. But I heard this was a really bad winter, and that's why it's been so bad. Yeah, last year, 2020, and even 2019 was very mild. We barely had any snow, but, you know, it came back to haunt us here in 2021, where it's just total blizzards and just nonstop. I mean, I, Wait, I are you can't... ready for a stat? Are you ready yeah. for a Lonnie Quinn stat? Lonnie yeah. Quinn, yeah, roll up the sleeves. Like, like, a, like a couple nights ago, apparently the five – snowiest winters uh i'm sorry the, the least snowiest winters that we've ever had were followed by the five snowiest winters that we've ever had so that's that's so 2020 was the, the least snowy and then 2021 and follows with the most, the most snow yep so i will i remember when i was the sideline reporter for the tampa bay rays our first away series was at yankee stadium and it was april and it got snowed out the first day got snowed out and then i think the second day was like rain or something and I remember thinking, it's April. Like, it's April. It's not January. Yeah. So why are we experiencing this? And then, like you said, last year wasn't that bad. So by April, it was pretty warm. Um, and then they decided to flip that upside down this year, I guess. But Yes. No, our mutual friend who, who recommended we have you on the show, Adnan Verk, he is <laughs> always complaining on TV about him shoveling. You know what? When you make the big bucks, Adnan, you're going to have a big property and you're going to have a lot to shovel. So right. I, don't know, I don't know how sorry I felt about him. But, uh, you know, he said we had to get you on the show. And I think he was a little tongue in cheek about this. But he said, ask Michelle about how I'm her mentor. So what do you what are your thoughts on Adnan? <laughs> oh, tongue in cheek? No, he, he, he absolutely is a mentor. He's um, a wonderful mentor. He's first and foremost, take the mentor stuff out of it. One of the most talented individuals I have ever um, met worked with you don't realize it at home and I've always said um when someone you know hates on Twitter or sends me messages or whatever says you know so and so so bad at their job it's making your job look easy which means you're doing a good job because if someone else thinks that they can do it that means that you're doing a good job if that makes sense but Adnan makes it look so easy and I've been there behind the scenes when it's not easy and he is so good and so talented and so smooth. Um, I actually hate him for it. So go ahead and tell him that. I envy him for being able to just do whatever comes his way and and handle it with grace. Yes, he actually has totally been a mentor for me. He has great advice. He listens to me nonstop when I'm being neurotic and he's a wonderful human being, super funny. And he he has you on MLB now with him. So I'm sure that was a cool experience. Yeah, yeah, it was an awesome experience. And um. Yeah, he's just, he's a good guy. He, he really yeah, is. Adnan, one of his best skills is that 
while I'm watching him on TV, he'll be texting me and I'm like, are you, are you taping this? He's like, no, I'm, we're live. So anytime, anytime you can think about it, and if you're showing B-roll or something, he's texting people, he's on Twitter tweeting people. And I got to work with him firsthand on, on his show on Change Up a few years ago, which was hysterical to talk to Adnan. But he said, you are a reading fanatic. He said, you love reading books. So are you more of a, an audio book reader or a hardcover reader or, or is he, he just making that? things up? Yeah, he was like, you got to ask Michelle about her love of books. Uh, Ronan Farrow. So. Oh, okay. So I wouldn't say I'm like an avid reader, maybe more than the average millennial. Um, well, if you read one book, then that's more than uh, anybody else. That's a millennial. Yeah, I, I interesting that he thinks that. I, who is he talking to who doesn't read that, that much? Um, yeah, there is a book that's really phenomenal. Do you, do you know who Roman, Ronan Farrow is? I do, I don't think Nick does. Wow, Nick called out. Shots fired. Listen, the uh, last time I read a book was probably in college, and I've done I've done just fine since then. So Ronan Farrow is um, Mia Farrow's son um, slash Woody Allen's son, nice. um, <laughs> and he's an investigative journalist, really big on fact checking, and he wrote a book called Catch and Kill, which was the by far easiest read I've in I don't know the last two years. I read it in two days. Um, and that's saying a lot because I do not read. Like I, that's why I'm confused. If you called me an avid reader, I don't read things that quickly. Um, he must have saw you with a book one time, and then he's just like associated you with reading. <laughs> I talk. I'm one of those people. Okay, I have a pet peeve that when people talk about their dreams, like nobody cares about your dreams, and when people talk about books that they've read, and you're like, oh, great, someone telling me all about the book that they read. Um, and I definitely do that. Like if I'm reading a good book. Everyone Everyone's around know. will know. Yes. So I think maybe I'm, I must have been reading a book and I said something to Adnan about it. And he was like, okay, this girl reads. <laughs> yeah. So you grew up in San Diego, uh, or you went to college in San Diego, rather. And when did you decide that you wanted to uh, pursue a career in journalism? Was it before college or when you got to the University of San Diego? Um, I knew when I was eight that I wanted to be a news anchor. I had this trifold dollhouse that was like life-size kind of came up to here. And, um, I had this pseudonym named Sally Kelly. I don't know why that's just the name I chose. And every night I would read the news to my mom. So I knew, um, from a very early age that I wanted to do it, but I considered other things and I dabbled in other things in college because so many people told me, um, that it was super competitive and that I had no chance. So I tried to hedge and <laughs> look for other things just in case, but it was always journalism. I mean, ask anyone. I, I, people still to this day that knew me in high school were like, you know, you said you wanted to do this. I'm I, you did it. I'm like, yeah, like that, there was no plan B. That's what I wanted to do. And there was nothing that was going to stop me. So um, from very early age, I didn't know I wanted to do sports until I was about 19. Right. So were you looking at any other schools in San Diego? Because obviously when people are on the West Coast, they obviously tend to look at SC uh, as one of those communication schools. A lot of the connections uh, seem to come out of there. Uh, so what was it like uh, being in college? How was your internship, internship experience like? Uh, what did you do while you were there and immediately out of college that helped you out career-wise? Uh, how much time do you have? <laughs> 
I, uh, I did not get into SC. Um, and I was upset about that. And so to this day, I go for the Bruins because I am mad that I didn't get into USC. Wow. Uh, I would have hit a sore spot. <laughs> yeah. Did someone tell you that? Uh, no, I um, kind of assume because SC is just a, a very, very big school and uh, a lot of yeah. communications people tend to come from there. And I know uh, with Fox out on the West Coast and, and LA and stuff and the connections that they have to, to college sports and, and the Pac-12 and stuff like that, SC is just monstrous school. So I'm sorry I, I, I brought up an old <laughs> Plus, USC is the last school I would, I would even consider because I just couldn't stand their, their college football days with Reggie Bush and Matt Leinart. Ugh, oh, okay. Can't yeah. stand them. Um, yeah, Annenberg school, it's a really good journalism school. And that's why I wanted to go in because USD did not have a journalism program. I majored in communication, which was more like, it wasn't even really media studies. It was like family interpersonal communication. And then I minored in political science. So, um, it was a, it was a tough road from that angle. They still don't have a journalism program, which I, one of these days when, when my journalism career is over, I'm going to do my best to start a program there because it's so necessary. Um, every time I say I went to USD, people go, oh, Trojans, USC. I'm like, no, USD. <laughs> um, my dad always calls the university of spoiled daughters because I'm his spoiled daughter. <laughs> I'm not spoiled. Um, but uh, yeah, so yeah, I did a lot of internships actually. So that's why I said, how much time do you have? Um, the first one I did was... So, so here's, here is um, my biggest piece of advice to Gen Z or anyone who wants to do um, journalism. You cannot expect things to happen without going after them because the first internship that I had, uh, it was a news station in Sacramento. Obviously I was in San Diego for college and it was between my freshman and sophomore year, but my college wouldn't let me take an internship without compensation. So I either had to get credit for it or I had to get paid for it. And my college didn't allow me to get credit for it until after my sophomore year. And this was after my freshman year. So I enrolled in a community college in Sacramento in order to get credit in order to do the internship in Sacramento. Um, that's, it was a news internship, but that's how I discovered my love for uh, sports journalism. But I cannot stress it enough. Like if plan A doesn't work, there's plan B. If plan B doesn't work, there's plan C. And, and, and you just gotta try and fit a square peg in a round hole sometimes. And thankfully I did that because it made me discover my love for sports journalism. Yeah. That was my first internship. I don't know if you want me to go on. <laughs> well, you know, you had a bunch of internships after that. And usually that's how it works with, with journalists. You're able to, to do uh, stuff with, with your school, with USD. Uh, and then you, you did Fox Sports, which must have been really cool. And, uh, you know, you're getting really into sports there. And uh, from there, obviously, you know, you're probably compiling your, your tape or your reel here. So what was the process like, um, you know, when graduation was coming up, uh, you know, sending that stuff out to different places? And how did you end up uh, auditioning for or just landing your first role out of college? This is another square peg in a round hole story. I, um, I didn't have, and you at University of San Diego was by far the best university I could have chosen. So this is no hate on them, but I didn't have a lot of help because not a lot of people went into journalism after USD because there was no program for it. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so what I did was instead of like an intelligent human being, instead of using an Excel spreadsheet, I used a piece of paper and a pen and I wrote down, um, every single designated market area that I wanted to work in. Um, so if you guys know what DMAs are like, number one is New York, number two is LA there's 209, number 209 is like Juneau, Alaska. So it's based on the TVs per household in the market. And I went through and I wrote down every single market that I wanted to work in. Um, within reason. So I didn't put New York and LA, I put, you know, Palm Springs and smaller markets. And I looked up every single news station in those markets and wrote that underneath. And then I wrote down um, the news directors of every single one, reached out to every single one that I wanted to work in. So if, say there's three or four stations in every market um, times, I probably did hundred markets. So like 300, 400 emails. And I sent, I personalized every single one and um you know maybe three percent got back to me and maybe one and a half percent had jobs open and the one that i ended up getting was in corpus christi texas they did not have a job open and they said we don't have any sports openings we um we'd love to fly you out we can have an interview but there's just no openings right now um, and i said yeah okay I'll, I'll do it and so i went out there and i interviewed for no position. And then about a month later, I followed up and I said, Hey, I've graduated. And I was freaking out at this point. Cause like no one wants to graduate without a job. Mm-hmm. And it had been, and I feel so, so much for the people who graduated during COVID. Cause that was probably not fun. Um, and he basically said, we don't have anything open. Um, thanks for following up. If you, if you want to work here, we can make a hybrid position where you can kind of do news and sports. I said, okay, I'll do it. And then I went and I did news for the first year and then there's weekend sports anchor left and I transitioned into that role. And that's how my first sports stuff came around. So it was not an easy process. It wasn't like there was a job opening and I applied and I got it. And that's what I think a lot of people expect to happen. And it's just not that simple. Yeah. They always say to uh, write down your goals. Uh, there's something magical about putting your thoughts uh, and ideas pen to paper. Uh, it seemed like that worked for you. Uh, it seemed like you were able to get something very quick out of college. Uh, I don't think people are as nearly as fortunate as you are. Um, I think a lot of people kind of have to do a little more soul searching and kind of bouncing around before they find a spot. But I wanted to ask, and we've asked people who have come on uh, in the past, uh, do you currently have an agent? Uh, did you have somebody... Uh, else assisting you in, in this process along the way as you've kind of uh, gone around, you bounced around, you started in Corpus Christi and you've gone to different locations and you work for a couple different companies uh, doing some anchoring, doing some sideline reporting here. Uh, so you do have, do you have an agent? Uh, and if you do, uh, did you find it helpful? I do have an agent and um, I've, I've talked to a lot of people about this actually. I think I found my uh, very first agent after I'd gotten my job in Corpus Christi. Um, and I don't think I needed one that young. I really don't, uh, or that early on, I guess not young, but early on in my career. Um, and it's very hit or miss. I've, I've heard a lot of people not happy with their agents. I've heard a lot of people very happy with their agents. I think agents have a really tough job, especially in the market that we're in right now. Um, I do have an agent. I love him. Um, we just started working together. And I think that it depends on the person because to me, nobody will represent you better than yourself. 
Um, because how could they? You have 100% of your time to represent yourself, whereas this person might be putting you in a group of 40 people. And so you get 140th of their time. So I think it's challenging in that capacity. I definitely think agents are helpful uh, later on in your career when you are negotiating a contract because you never want to be in a weird place with your employer. Um, and I don't know, money's a weird topic. So I, I think it's necessary when you get to the level of like really negotiating money um, putting people in jobs, it can be helpful, um, when they have a lot of knowledge and context, you know, if they have one client that's leaving a job and before that job even hits the market, they can fill it with another client. Um, but yeah, I think it's totally subjective. I know it's a, not probably not the answer that you wanted, but no, it's interesting. Everybody well, has a different opinion. So we like to hear, we like to hear that stuff because it's very difficult to, to jump markets and, you know, you're in Corpus Christi and you're making the move back to San Diego. You got a great, a great job with Fox Sports. How did that opportunity come about for you? And also you were there for, for two years, which in the TV industry these days is a long time. So tell us about your time there in San Diego. Oh, sometimes I wish I stayed there forever because San Diego is, it has my heart through and through. I'm getting married in San Diego. That's where I went to college. It's just, it's the best. Um, I had interned at Fox Sports San Diego and I had met with the executive producer of Fox Sports San Diego, who's now in Detroit. His name's Jeff Bile. He's another wonderful mentor of mine. And uh, at the end of my internship, I was, I don't know, maybe 20. And I said, I brought my laptop, like an idiot who brings their laptop to lunch, like to show your reel. Instead of a flash drive or a link, I just brought my whole laptop and was like, here's my reel. And um, I said, I'm ready. You know, whenever there's an opening, I'm ready. And he said, no, you're not. And I was like, yes, I am. I, I genuinely thought I was like, I, I had the confidence and thought, I know I can do this. Um, he was right. I was wrong. I was not ready. I probably would have fallen flat on my face. And he said, you need to start in a small market. You need to get your mistakes out. Um, you're not ready for, for sideline. And so I was like, all right, like I'll prove him wrong. And I went to a small market and every time I updated my reel, I sent it to him and I said, what do you think? Like, should I move? It wasn't even like, hey, is there something open? It was like, hey, um, this is the order that my clips are in. Do you think it's a good order? Do you think I should put this first? And um, and then he just basically called um, December of 2015 and said, the job's yours if you want it. We have an opening. And I nearly died because I just didn't think that I was going to leave Corpus Christi and get back to San Diego as quickly as it happened. And to do major league baseball was obviously incredible. So that's how that happened. I think he just watched how hard I worked and how quickly I worked and thought, okay, I'll give her an opportunity. Um, and I'm really glad he did. I'm glad he took a chance on me because I don't know where I'd be if, <laughs> if he didn't. So as you're molding what you're doing on air and kind of uh, honing your craft, uh, finding your own unique voice. Uh, I, I know it's hard, uh, but from what we've seen over the course of the last 10 to 20 years, uh, I think the sideline reporter has become such an important, unique, and standout part of the broadcast. Uh, and, and that includes people uh, like, like an Erin Andrews, right, for an example. Um, she's always a, one of the first people uh, who always comes up in these discussions. Uh, you could still look at somebody like Rachel Nichols and she took being 
uh, that reporter and she turned it into a, an on-air uh, anchor position and, and something even more. Look at uh, Kevin Burkhardt. With ESPN was, John Burkhardt was great with the Mets and then he's the Absolutely. star. So how hard is it uh, seeing those types of people do what they do and, and to not say to yourself like, okay, I'm going to take uh, maybe something that this person does and I'm going to incorporate it into what I do. How hard is it uh, to, to look at other people who are successful who have already done this and take stuff that they do uh, while also uh, not necessarily losing yourself and being unique to yourself? How hard is that to do? Um, very difficult. And I, I think that's in any avenue of life, not just um, our industry. I, I always say comparison is the thief of joy because you will never be truly happy if you're constantly comparing because you're not going to have everything that everybody else has. Um, and personally, so sideline, people argue that sideline reporting is becoming obsolete. Um, I think the job of a sideline reporter is very important because you're the liaison between the fans and the players and the coaches, et cetera. Um, I, I always say that sideline reporting is the hardest job to do well, but the easiest job to do poorly because it is easy to stand up there and take a nugget from the press conference that everybody else has and say it on the broadcast. But with this day and age with social media, that has- Some places take you away. Some bring you together. Marathon does both. Marathon is Florida's family key with something for everyone. You'll find museums and wildlife refuges, wide open beaches, miles of warm, clear water, and the historic Seven Mile Bridge. For more about Marathon and the latest safety protocols, visit flakeys.com slash marathon. Hear that? That's the sound of someone trying to steal your crypto. Every day, thousands of hackers online are doing the same. That's why Arculus uses air-gapped cold storage technology to protect your assets. Using our keycard and wallet app to form a protective barrier, Arculus insulates you from hackers and puts control of your digital assets back in your hands. Order the first truly air-gapped crypto wallet at GetArculus.com. It's been tweeted probably 30 times right. by the time the broadcast actually airs. And so you have to have information that the analyst doesn't have because they can do it from the booth. You have to have information that the beat writer doesn't have because he can write about it or tweet about it. Um, so again, it's, it's the easiest job to do poorly, but the hardest job to do well. And so, yeah, in some sense, some sideline reporters are becoming obsolete because they're not providing any new information. Um, but in other ways, they are the most important job because you are literally getting information that nobody else can get in the time that you're getting it. Um, so that did not answer your question and <laughs> how it, it compares to uh, looking at other people's careers, but I just think that the best of the best parlay it into something um, different like Rachel Nichols has done. Yeah, we had Tina Savassi on a little while ago too. And, and she, uh, she, I think more so uh, bounced around a little more uh, than, than you did uh, here. Uh, you did your, all your bouncing around at the beginning and now you've kind of come to New York and, and hopefully uh, we're going to have you here and, and doing stuff on SMY or at least in the New York market and maybe for some time. Uh, but we did have Tina on and, and Tina is the definition of a workaholic. I mean, when we had her on, it was work, 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 work related. 
Uh, you know, she told Nick and I uh, some very personal stories uh, pertaining to her personal life uh, and decisions and choices that she had made along the way uh, to do some sacrifices for her career. Uh, so I also wanted to ask you, uh, you know, how hard is it for you uh, having that, that personal life and have you had to make uh, some sacrifices here along the way? Again, I know uh, it hasn't been too much time since you graduated college between uh, then and now, uh, but there are sacrifices in your life that you've had to make or, or challenges that you've had in your personal life come about here uh, all the way up until your time here before you got to New York? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it wasn't necessarily intentional, but um, I mean, for the first five years of my career, it was go, go, go. I moved like five times in five years and each one was out of state within, you know, at least 900 miles of each other. Some of them were 3000 miles. And I think when, especially when you're a sideline reporter, you are, you live the life of, of, of a ball player. And so you are not, you don't make as much as a ball player. So let me get that straight, but you definitely uh, are on the road as much. And you are, you are almost working just as much, if not more than a ball player, because you are preparing the whole morning and then you get to the field when they get to the field and then you're working through and then you're working through the game and then you're working after the game and you're doing social media, et cetera. So there was just no time for anything. Um, and I, I, again, I wouldn't say the sacrifice was intentional, but it definitely takes a toll. And I remember distinctly, distinctly I visited my father who um, lives in Sacramento and we were playing the A's. I was with the Rays and we were in Oakland. So I drove, I rented a car and I drove up and at dinner, all I could talk about was work and da 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 I was just going off. And he said for the first time I had ever heard him ask, he said, um, how's your love life? Mm. And I was like, what, excuse me? And <laughs> he, he's like, well, how's your love life? I feel like you're putting all your eggs in the career basket and you're not really diversifying. And I was like, excuse me, I feel personally attacked right now. But also for the first time ever, he was worried that I was going to die alone at the end of the day or at the end of my life, because all I had done was make as many sacrifices as I could for my career. And I wasn't, I was putting myself first all the time and I wasn't allowing anybody in because, um, because really he raised me that way. <laughs> he told me, you know, be financially independent. You never want to have to depend on someone else for your money. And so that's what was ingrained in me from a very young age was to, to build a career for myself. And that's what I did. And of course, you know, your dad's never really happy. Right. So I think that kind of dawned on him and then it dawned on me that like, okay, maybe I, I should start living my life outside of work a little bit. So, um, I, I worked, I worked so hard to a fault that I wasn't making decisions for anything other than my career. And now, um, now I'm engaged obviously. So I think, that has changed a lot. And I'm very fortunate that my fiance is super understanding and he um, works in medicine. So he'll be able to go wherever my career goes. And um, so I'm thankful for that. It's obviously worked out for you recently engaged. Congratulations on that. Congratulations. Now you stay in the Fox sports family, but you head to Tampa Bay and mm -hmm. you get the sideline reporter job with the Rays, again, interested in what the process was like that for that switch. And also, was it challenging going to you know, your, that spring training and making relationships with the players and staff to be able to 
build that backbone and foundation to get good stories throughout the season. Yeah. Um, any, <laughs> I always feel like I'm the new kid because again, I've moved so much and I, I have a very hard time saying no. So when there's a job opportunity that could make me more versatile than the last, I will always take it because I always want to make myself as, as, um, I say scarce as possible. Scarce is a weird word because it sounds like there's nothing there, but scarce is as unique and different and um, one of a kind as possible. And so uh, I, I didn't want to leave San Diego, but I knew I had to because I knew that I was going to get more opportunities in Tampa Bay. And same thing when I left Tampa to go to Houston and now Houston, New York. So it was a challenge, but it wasn't anything that I wasn't used to. Um, being the new kid, having to learn everyone's name and just trying to learn the way of the organization. The Every organization I've been with has been completely different than the last. Um, so that means the Astros were very different than the Rockets. The Rockets were very different than the Rays. The Rays were very different from the Padres. Um, and I think the Rays made it very easy. They um, treated me like I was part of the family, um, so much so that they gave me a spot in the players' lot at Tropicana Field. So um, I was very thankful for that. They made the transition very easy. And also the, the job was very similar. I wasn't changing jobs. Going from MLB to NBA was much, much more difficult than it was to go from Padres to Rays. Yeah, I could imagine. And you know, you're in Florida for that season. And then, you know, you love the no state income tax. So you go to Texas, staying over <laughs> there, getting crushed now in New York, I could imagine. Uh, but what was, what was the biggest differences between doing silent reporting for baseball versus basketball? Oh my God, everything. Um, the schedule, everyone said, oh, the NBA is going to be so much better because, um, you know, you only play a couple times a week and they were wrong. I don't know who thought that was better. <laughs> um, going from one city to the next every single day at weird hours in the night is not fun. I very much missed being in a city for three days and then going to another city for three days and not switching time zones three times a week. Um, plus, you know, you don't have practice for MLB, but NBA, you go to shoot around and practice. So there was a lot more to cover and unpack um, from that standpoint. The, yeah, the biggest difference to me was the schedule and also the league, the league is covered totally differently. I mean, NBA is, is, is just, it's covered globally and, and major league baseball really hasn't, uh, hasn't gotten there yet. So it's just a different sport altogether. It's a much faster paced sport. Um, both. I absolutely loved, I loved everyone I met, um, in both sports, but they're just different. So I wanted to ask about your note-taking, uh, and, and your prep too, because, uh, some people, prefer to do everything on their own. Uh, maybe they have their own handwriting. Uh, maybe they carry their laptop around everywhere like you do and they have everything set up. Uh, you know, I want to mention Tina again, and we had Jenny Dell on and uh, everybody has different uh, methods. Uh, so what, when they work, so what do you do? Do you have like note cards? Uh, do you bring around your tablet or your iPad around everywhere? Uh, so is there, is there a specific way that you do it uh, or, or has it always been in conjunction uh, with your, your coworkers and, and your teammates? So unlike Adnan, I, um, when I have a broadcast, it's a little different in the studio, but when I was doing sideline, I didn't look at my phone the whole game. Um, sometimes my producers hated it because they couldn't get a hold of me for some reason um, or another, but I 
don't like looking at my any any technology. Um, I think it's distracting. I think I don't I refuse to get an iWatch or an Apple Watch or whatever it's called because I don't want something popping up um, that I don't want to see or read at the time that I'm right about to go on air. Um, and so uh, I dread the day that there are no paper scripts in the studio because I swear by them um, and I write on them and I highlight them. I don't use tablets. Uh, I don't bring my laptop to work. So and you're old school. I like I'm that. Very so old you, you went from bringing your laptop everywhere around the, around the <laughs> no, internet. No, I didn't even bring that. it everywhere. <laughs> I only brought it to that lunch because I didn't know how else to show him my reel, which looking back, I mean, he probably didn't think anything of it, but it was like, I don't know. That's just like one of those things for you, I guess. You know, you put your heads to pillow at night and you're like, oh my gosh, seven years ago, I broke my life. <laughs> yes, welcome to my life and overthinking, yes. But I like it. I mean, I, I, would feel, I feel like I'd be the same way. I'd have to be locked in in the zone. Not a, I mean, too many distractions coming in and, you know, God forbid you get bad news about something else, you know, that would just rip you out of the broadcast. So that's definitely, you know, I like the way that you're, you're thinking there. Now, I got to ask you about James Harden. Why are the Rockets retiring his number already? I mean, this is just <laughs> absolute ridiculousness. I mean, was he really that loved there by the fans and the organization? Uh, yeah. Yeah, he was. Um, yeah. It's weird. I saw a quote, and I, you know, you never know. Things that could be taken out of context. I saw a quote from Harden the other day that said something like, I've always had this leadership. Uh, just this time I'm getting recognized for it or something about being in Brooklyn. And I thought that was weird because um, I felt he had a decent relationship with the Rockets organization. I mean, obviously they're retiring his number. So um, yeah, he was very loved and he, I think he was often misunderstood. I do. I think, um, yeah, I, I think people need to give him a little bit more grace. Certainly can see that. Now you make the move to the Big Apple in December of 2019, which an all-time great month, as Jill will know, because that's when I got married. But oh, what, congrats. thanks. What was what was the uh, the process <laughs> like there to apply to that type of role, and was there any sort of audition process? There was an audition process, and um, and there was no role. Again, I, I cannot stress it enough. People just apply for open jobs, and when they don't get them, they just sit in their own misery. And to me, it's so obvious to go after things that might not be available at the time, but will be created for you. Um, SNY, so my dad's dad was law partners with Bill Shea of Shea Stadium. Wow. And so wow. um, Mets have always been very important to my family, my dad's side of the family. My dad grew up um, with box seats all the time in Shea Stadium and has a Tom Seaver baseball in our house. So there's always been a little bit of that um, in my blood, but I, it was, it never dawned on me to like, I want to work there. It was kind of like my, my dad got really sick in 2018, which is interesting that you said the whole, like, you don't want to get bad news on a text when you're working. And that was like my whole 2018. Um, and finally it was kind of like, I feel really proud of myself when I know I'm doing something that is connected to my family. And I love New York. I've always loved New York on my Facebook statuses, which is so embarrassing, by the way. I don't know if you ever have your memories pop up. It'll say like, Michelle is so bored. Ugh. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Why did I think that was okay to write on my Facebook status? Uh, but yeah. I keep 
looking back and it keeps saying like, you know, 13 years ago, Michelle belongs in New York, period. Or like, Michelle, can't wait to go to New York, period. Like I just, there was this drive in me that I really felt like I belong in New York. And so um, when it seemed like a possibility or probability, it, it was a no brainer. And um, it's very special to me to hopefully get to cover some Mets this season um, in, in some capacity because it's, it's important to me. Yeah, manifest destiny there, getting to New York. And you, know, you mentioned earlier how tough it is to be a silent reporter. I can only imagine how 2020 was when you're not even meeting with the players. You're over Zoom with everybody else. And I'm sure if times were normal, we would have saw you down in, in Port St. Lucie doing some games here because – you know, we're only getting four games on SNY this year or five games, which, which kind of sucks, but looking forward to the Mets season. Now, got to ask you this question here because Joe and I know what the proper answer is, but if there was a movie or a television show about you, you know, young Michelle taking off the young rock here. Don't ask me this. Who would, who would play you? And if you, don't, don't, if, you don't know, if you don't know the answer, Joe could tell you the answer because it's a no brainer yeah, but let's let's see what you let's see what you think first. Wait, hold on. You know the answer for me. I think I think it's a it's a no brainer when you look at when you're looking at this actress, and I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be very very similar here. If it's not Kate Beckinsale, I don't want to hear it. Unless this woman is a twenty out of ten, I don't want to hear it. Some I, people I, would say she's. Uh, some, some people would say she's probably she's, more than a twenty. Some people say she's pretty wonderful. Wonderful? Is this a pun? She's a wonderful woman. Wonder Woman? <laughs> yes. Who yes. is who plays Wonder Woman? Gail Goodell. I don't look anything like her. Ah, uh, there's there's some resemblance there. I, I see. I see a little resemblance. She is gorgeous. I will take that. I mean, listen, I don't don't tell her that you, you think we look alike, but I'll take it. Um, no, I. Well, so she's not an actress, but one person that I really, really respect, and you can go back to the Ronan Farrow catch and kill, um, is Monica Lewinsky, but she's okay. not an actress. That'd be so interesting. She wouldn't play me in a movie, but she is someone that um, I've read her. I've read her autobiography. I've listened to many podcasts. I follow her on Twitter. She's the best follow on Twitter. She's so funny. Um, and so that I would say that's someone that I, I love that's out of the norm that's not like you know beyonce or somebody that everyone loves but gal gal how do you say gal gadot gal gadot gal. No. No. she's got the whole no you got the whole margot thing going on it works yeah. i mean you might as well just put me in with margot robbie then too let's just there we go we could do the new, the new, the new yeah she could be your side character yeah but it's your movie so it's up to yeah. you blonde hair blue eyes we're the same person <laughs> um, so who are, have been your favorite uh, athletes and coaches uh, and other people that you've got to interview over the years hate that question too um, because like that's like choosing your favorite child like you just right. don't even though you have one you don't say it out loud um, without well, hopefully we'll get you to say it. no in fear of making the others jealous so I wouldn't say I have a favorite I've been very fortunate. Um, everyone that I've worked with, has, I mean, truly, I'm not just saying that. I know that's a cliche answer, but everyone has been very, very good to me throughout my career. Um, 
I mean, there's, I would say anyone that gives genuine answers because there's nothing more gratifying as a reporter than getting an answer that you're like, oh, yes, like, thank you. Now these fans, like you're doing yourself a, the service of, of showing these fans who you are, but also anyone that says, that's a good question, Michelle. I love that. Don't you guys, you know, that feeling when you ask a question and the, the athlete or the coach says like, that's a really good question. And you're like, thank you. Thank you. I worked so hard on my questions. Nick and I have had some joyful experiences here on the podcast because we've had guests on in the past uh, who have not stopped the interview, but have taken time during the interview uh, to say that Nick and I ask good questions. Uh, we had Great. Tim Kirchin on. He was our first two-time guest. Uh, and through Tim Kirchin, uh, the Armenian connection, we had Armin Kitayan. Uh, and Armin Kitayan, when we did an interview with him, uh, he stopped the interview. And he told us mid-interview uh, that these were some of the best questions that he had ever been asked in his career. Uh, and to us, that was an honor, considering uh, somebody like that who was working in the business for 30, 40 years, and done stuff for both sports uh, and world news and politics and uh, somebody who has the types of connections that he does. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's very rewarding. And I think people need to hear stuff like that. They need to hear, you know, you ask good questions or you're very prepared uh, or we enjoy the time spots that we have with you uh, or, or we see you, you know, roaming the sidelines during the game. And uh, once halftime comes around, you know, I know I, you know, we could feel comfortable uh, you know, going up to you and you knowing that you're going to ask good questions. You know, I think people need to hear that more. I agree. It's, it's gratifying for sure. Uh, so, I mean, you're going to give me the kid answer again, but it's fine. Uh, what were your, what were your favorite cities that you got to go to? Oh, no, I can definitely answer this. Um, so my favorite sleeper city, um, well, Toronto, Toronto, it's not even a sleeper city. Toronto is just uh, amazing. It's, it's clean. It's, um beautiful the people there are beautiful there's good shopping there's good food it's it's just cool i mean canada's cool man um don't tell adnan that well obviously <laughs> he uh he'd rather be in america i mean he uh he came down oh, he is here um so toronto is awesome uh sneaky good ballpark would be kansas city kaufman um i didn't expect it to be as cool as it was I've been very, very, very blessed that I've been to um, almost every single ballpark. I think there's a couple in the NL Central that I've not been to, um, but I would say Kansas City was my favorite sleeper sleeper ballpark. Well, um, Arrowhead and Kaufman are both in the same complex, are they not? Are they? No. Oh, not. complex, complex. Yes, sorry. Yes, I thought so, yeah. um, like where the Raiders play, where it's literally on the same field, but no. Right. Um, they are, yeah, parking lots. It's uh, yeah, like Oracle Arena and um, right. It, uh, also, um, I will say I like MLB's cities better than NBA's. I did. That was another difference that I was like, man, I mean, some of them overlap, you know, Denver, Phoenix, Chicago, but, um, I would definitely say that MLB has better cities to visit. All right. Last question. The most important question. When you were working these games, what was your go-to food from the press box popcorn i mean right. i yeah i you don't get a lot of time to eat that's for sure and then you eat like tenfold on the plane um 
popcorn. I don't like hot dogs. I know, unpopular opinion. I don't like hot dogs. Um, I never ate meat uh, at, at stadiums. It kind of grosses me out. So popcorn and cookies, anything that was free was for me. Absolutely. So you uh, go with safe, relatively safe snacks. That was the go-to. Correct. And I would say that is my MO in life as well. Um, I had nachos last night for dinner. <laughs> nachos are great. Um, yeah, so I, that'll probably have to change at some point because my metabolism is not going to keep up. But uh, yeah, I would say popcorn and, and cookies. I loved, so I got very fortunate when I was with the Rockets because Tillman Fertitta, the owner of the Rockets, uh, also was very high up um, with all Landry properties, which, you know, is McCormick and Schmicks and Mastro's and Morton's and Rainforest Cafe and all those yummy um restaurants so our catered plane flights were like next level so it was almost better to just wait till we got on the plane after and have a steak than to have whatever was in the press box at the city that we were in great stories uh great time had a really really fun time this was a blast to do uh we thank you for coming on we really really appreciate it uh hopefully soon uh, Nick and I, uh, we can get the rest of SNY and the nightly crew uh, to do this with us. And hopefully we can move on to their digital platforms. And uh, hopefully once we do that, we could have a, a weekly segment here on our podcast. We'll call it uh, On the Margo. Uh, we'll have you on. <laughs> we'll, uh, yeah, how great is that, right? And I know you, and you like it. that immediately. <laughs> yeah. I'm uh, here for it. Um, uh, really, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, we always give the last words here to our guests. So. Uh, if there's anything else that you would like to share, if there's anything else you'd like to promote, uh, go right ahead. Floor is yours. Once again, uh, congratulations on your engagement. Uh, we hope everything works out for you. We hope to have you on again in the future. Thank you so much. I hope everything works out for me as well. Um, I really appreciate you guys having me on and um, it was a good time. You guys asked great questions. Oh my gosh. Um, Nick, I want to know why you were just laughing <laughs> when Joe like started rapping now. Uh, yeah, because he's 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 pitching. He's funny. doing what you said. You know, it's all about. It's just a funny guy. You know, he wants us. He wants us to get an SNY.TV. Maybe it's going to happen. We'll see what happens down the road. And you know, Joe's just a he's a funny guy. He's always staying hungry. I love it. I well, I see his shirt. Is that why? <laughs> cool, cool. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you very much. That's going to do it here for this episode of You Know I'm Right. For a very special guest who we thought was maybe uh, had her, her, her face in a book all the time at the library, but she really doesn't. She's just a fan of uh, Monica Lewinsky and, and one particular book. So that's going to do it here. <laughs> so for Michelle Margot, who's having a bad hair day, but you couldn't tell, and my co-host Joe Calabrese, <laughs> this has been Nick Durst, and you have been listening to You Know I'm Right. Every day, thousands of hackers try to steal your crypto. But Arculus uses air-gapped technology by forming a protective barrier that insulates you from hackers and secures your crypto. Order yours at GetArculus.com.